which is that my mom says. Episode 13. I'm Jules Creighton. And I'm Cece Alice. got so high there that your that FaceTime couldn't handle it and you cut out into my earbuds probably to save my ears it was because I was doing like a I was doing like a heavy metal kind of thing there did you get that it was super I couldn't tell exactly what you were trying to do but it all makes sense now it's all so clear to me now I am the keeper of, of course, and you, you are the lemon merchant. I loved running Stimpy. Stimpy. You're so stupid. <laughs> Fucking love running Stimpy. Whenever I say it's also clear to me now, I always have to follow it up with I am the keeper of the cheese and you, you are the lemon merchant. If you, Me too. Me too. If you haven't seen the Space Madness episode of Ren and Stimpy from whatever 1990s year that was, just go look up Space Madness on on YouTube and check out that clip because it's really fantastic. Yeah, it'll all be so clear to you now. It will. And you'll think of ice cream bars differently. So do you want to recap... Where, I mean, do we need to talk about anything else before we get back into this case? Are you on the edge of your fucking seat? I'm actually on a rolly seat. I told you I was going to fall off my seat before because I was, I kept itching my toe. (laughs) Yeah, she told me that (laughs) your your toe was itchy. This is, we're, we're, we're recording this. I almost said filming it because my daughter always is like, are you guys filming? And I was like, we're not filming. We're fucking recording. But. (laughs) <laughs> no, I almost said filming. But no, so we got done with that one just a couple minutes ago. And then and then I was taking a drink of my bubbler, which is a, a drink that you should try. I'm like a with spokesperson bubbler all day, every day. I'm obsessed with them. And she told me, well, I had a mouthful of bubbler. I tried it the other day and it wasn't that great. Oh, I fucking love them. So she told me while well, I had a mouthful of bubbler that her toe kept itching. And I don't know why I thought it was so funny, but I almost choked a little bit and ruined this goddamn microphone. God damn it. All right. So here's the thing. There was these two people in the last episode, if you will recall. That they they were laying out on a lover's lane. It was a couple of people. One's name was Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And the other one's name was Edward. So we got alliteration going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're so cute. Aw. Yeah, except for that they're married what to would different their, people. What would their celebrity name be? Edinor. Or? No, it would be Edward. L word, get it? Like the L word in L word. Ah. Okay, I get it. Okay. <laughs> We're so fucking funny. Oh my god. 
we're not funny. That wasn't funny. We need more energy. We need more energy. I had like a wicked amount of caffeine this evening and it, I think it's having like the opposite effect on me. Um, Get it together. Anyway, so these two, these two, they'd been banging for about three years. He was like a reverend and a married reverend at that. And she, uh, Lady Eleanor, uh, was married to a simpleton named James, who claims that he had no idea that his wife had been having an affair. They came from a tough luck situation where they didn't have a lot of money and a couple of kids, struggle, struggle, bus. And then the reverend, he was married to a cougar named Francis, who was apparently not cute. And she had lots of money, lots of money, like in the millions back then in the 1920s, which was a lot. And so I don't think that either of them loved their spouses. They were having a torrid love affair and they were writing some love letters back and forth that were real cringy. And they find these dead bodies. They got some holes punched in their head by a thirty-two caliber weapon. And the dude had, like, like a hat over his face, and they were posed. He was, <laughs> like, touching her neck, and she was touching his leg. Am I right? Yeah, your recap is just so detailed. Am I so good at this or what? I mean, I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud. I mean, I think it's because we recorded the first episode like in pieces so many times that it's probably ingrained in your head now. But I'm really impressed with your recall. Thank you. I'm impressed with my recall. Okay, so where were we at? Where were we at when when we when we signed off of the last well, episode? Where we were at was that um they were starting to think that it was Francis's brothers. So she came from this wealthy family, but she lived with her brother, whose name was Willie Nutsy. (laughs) Nutsy Willie. Willie, which had nothing to do with his testicle size. It had everything to do with him being kind of, well, fucking weird. He was a nutball. (laughs) So (laughs) there was that. And and she lived with, like, Francis, this rich bitch, she lived with Nutsy Willie, her brother, and they lived with her husband, this reverend, right? So no wonder he was cheating on mm-hmm. her because he's like, I don't fucking like your brother. You're just dumb. You're rich. Whatever. So um, where we were at was that there was a lot of witnesses. There was a grand jury where they were trying to indict the family, basically, of Francis. So, like, her mm-hmm. and two of her brothers, Nutsy, and also Henry, a brother, who was a marksman, who yeah. was actually 50 miles away from from the murder site, but he was such a good marksman that he shot from 50 miles away <laughs> and Swiss-cheesed their heads. <laughs> um And so that's kind of where we're at. And then there's some crazy neighbors that like to talk a lot. Um, Her name, the neighbor's name was Jane. And she had an ass for a pet named Jenny. (laughs) 
Yeah. A mule. She was riding Jenny that night. Um, and she made all these crazy claims that, that she saw things and then the story got embellished. You know how it be. So things were getting wild and crazy. And basically the grand jury was like, shut the fuck up. None of this is real. Y'all don't have anything substantial to bring to this case. And we still don't know who killed these lovers. So that's where we are. Correct. So, yep. So it's at a standstill. Nothing happens. But four years later. Four years? On July 3rd of, yeah, four years. July 3rd, 1926. There is a piano tuner named Arthur Real. And he files a petition for a divorce from his wife, Louise Geist, after only 10 months of marriage. And the petition tells a crazy story. Okay. So this document that he filed for his divorce outlined that Louise had confessed to him that four years prior in 1922, while employed by Francis and Edward Hall, Edward had confided in her about his relationship with Eleanor. Hmm. He told Louise about his plans to elope with Eleanor on the night of September 14th and where he was going to meet up with her at the crabapple tree that evening. So Louise told her husband, allegedly, that instead of her keeping it confidential, as Edward had asked, she decided to tell Francis when and where they were going to meet. So Francis had ordered their chauffeur, Peter Tumulty, to drive them to that location that night. And for her assistance and silence about the matter, Louise took a $5,000 payout from Francis, which would be about $88,000 in today's money. Fuck. Plus 8% inflation. Yeah, and Peter was allegedly also paid off. So Arthur was divorcing her because he was really morally opposed to her having taken this payment. Okay. He was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, I can't be married to you. But Louise denied these allegations. She claimed that her husband was using a made-up story to blackmail her into getting back together with him. But it was honestly too late, and the press caught wind of everything. The story reached the New Jersey governor, A. Harry Moore, and he was ready to put this rest, this case to rest, this rest to case, I almost just said. Wait, his name was A. Harry Moore? It's like A period Harry Moore, letter A period Harry Moore. And he was a new governor of New Jersey. I I skipped saying new twice on accident in my notes. So a new New Jersey governor. I wish that he was, I wish that he was a more hairy, a more hairy governor. He was more hairy than the last governor. (laughs) So yeah, he, he really was though. He wanted to put. He was, yeah, um, but he, yeah, you know, he, he was like, let's, let's do this, and so pressure started mounting, doing, do the press coverage, and the, the governor got to quick work ordering that the case be reexamined, and just three weeks later, on July twenty eighth, Francis Willie Henry Stevens, the brother, and their cousin Harry Carpenter were all arrested for the murders. Wait, is Harry also Henry? Um, did I say Harry again on accident? Is Harry? Harry. Harry is the governor. And then there's two Henrys. 
So Henry Stevens, the That's brother. That's what I thought. And Henry Carpenter, the cousin. Oh, I probably said something fucked up. I was like, is this like a John Jack situation? I was like, is Harry and Henry No, the but same? these, okay, so this is the first two, no. So there's no other double names here except for Henry. Okay. We're going to hear Henry, not only these two guys, but also again later on in the story. So Henry Stevens, Henry Carpenter, all three accused of murder. Just three weeks later, there's a special prosecutor this time. So they took it out of the hands of the Somerset police because they fucked it up last time and yeah so they they take this this new evidence from louise's husband so isn't that hearsay yeah probably i would say that would be hearsay i would say it's hearsay (laughs) that i say it's hearsay (laughs) they went with it so they ordered a new autopsy and they exhumed eleanor and edward and despite there having been two opsies Two opsies, two autopsies already done in 1922. It actually proved useful for them to do a third, and they discovered that her tongue and her larynx, so her vocal cords, had been removed. What? Like when her throat was cut, they removed her tongue and her vocal cords, and they didn't discover that in the first two autopsies. Wait. And or somebody stole her tongue and her larynx after she was autopsied or during. I don't because they don't like talk about and there's not really anything else besides like that. I think to myself like, oh, maybe maybe whoever did this like decided that her singing had like caused Edward to fall in love with her. And so they were like removing it to be um, like, I don't know. It just seems it's interesting, but it doesn't really... There's not really any explanation for it other than just saying that it happened. So this screams to me. <laughs> Get it? Yes. <laughs> so terrible. To me. Yeah. I'm going to hell. That. Yeah, you are. I. Th- I mean, jealousy. She's yeah, a soprano. I. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. Is that like whoever did this may have thought that her singing made. Edward fall in love with her, maybe, or something like that. Do you think that maybe Frances couldn't sing, that she sounded like a toad? <laughs> what? Maybe. People were already so mean about what she looked like, and then you're like, that she sounded like a toad. Well, maybe she did. This is all speculation. Perhaps. Perhaps she sounded like a toad, but yeah, vocal <laughs> okay. cords were removed. Yeah, so they didn't, this doesn't really help with anything. It doesn't really honestly come up again, but just interesting to know that her tongue and vocal cords were removed. So we didn't really talk about the fact that this was like, like four years later, they dug up the bodies and it's not like there was anything special probably done to the bodies to preserve them. So they were they like soupy sales or like what was going on there? I have not a clue, honestly, so... I didn't think about that question or look into it. Gross. I think I don't think about decomposition as much as you do. Because I know it's it's in your life. Because mm. the doc. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I bet you it was gross. It was enough to know that her tongue was gone. So, okay. I don't know. Proceed. But if you remember, there's Henry number two, Henry Carpenter, the cousin. He did end up getting his own lawyer and he petitioned to have his trial be separated from that of his cousins and the request was granted 
Um, eventually, the charges against him were dropped due to a lack of evidence. So they move forward with a trial for Francis, Willie, and Henry Stevens. And it began on November 3rd of 1922. Nope, November 3rd of 1926, I believe. Or honestly, I might, I might not have known what day it started because... I think that was the date from earlier, and I messed up when I was doing it. So it happened sometime in 1926 after July. That's, that's what I can tell you. So this trial lasted... Actually, no, I think it might have still been November 3rd because I said it lasted a month, and I know the day that it got done. So I think November 3rd actually is correct in 1926. I just put the wrong year down. Um, so it lasted a month, and it was made up primarily of the testimony of 157 witnesses this time. Damn. One of the witnesses alleged that he saw Henry Stevens in New Brunswick on the day after the crimes when Henry insisted that he was at home in Lavalette, New Jersey, 15 miles away. So mm-hmm. somebody's placing him there. Um, many others claimed that a private detective hired by Francis attempted to bribe them to stay quiet. Francis's head driver even indicated that on the day of Edward's funeral, under her widow's heavy veil, um, he caught a glimpse of her face briefly and saw a long, fresh scratch on her left cheek. Another witness said that he saw Willie the day after the murders, and Willie had told them that something terrible had happened. The bodies hadn't been discovered yet at this time, but... I, to explain it away, and they, nobody explained it away besides me here, but I just wanted to point out that, like, Willie had been looking for Edward, who was missing also. So that could have been the terrible thing that he was alluding to when he saw that other witness that was like, something terrible happened. Um, but. Or also, it could just be that he, like, lost his fire truck. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get to go to the firehouse that day because he was busy looking for Edward. But, yeah, I That's don't know. That's a terrible thing that happened to him. It was probably a bummer for him. So they wouldn't let him take the fire truck out to look for Edward, something like that. So (laughs) the Dalmatian, they wouldn't let him pet it. Oh, poor, poor Willie. Poor Nutsy Nutsy. Willie. Yeah. Okay. So another one of the test, like the the testimonies, (laughs) the witnesses, I'm really struggling with words. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed today. Yeah, you are. It's my body. So it's. That's my my dumbness from the keto because I keep going back and forth with it. I talked about this last time. It's my body. I get dumb when I do this. I got to stop cheating. So, okay. So keto brain. Yeah. One of the witnesses was a man named Ralph Gosling. And he was actually another past lover of Eleanor's prior to her affair with Edward. Damn, girl. Yeah. He admitted that he had been on the lover's lane that night with another woman who was also not his wife because he was married. So he was having a different affair. So he claimed that he saw Henry Stevens that night as well. And so this is putting Henry Stevens again, not in Lavalette where he lived. So he said that he saw Henry Stevens and that Henry had fired two warning shots at him, which caused him to run away. So two more shots. I don't know why that made me laugh. This this former lover of Eleanor's Ralph also admitted that at one time he had worked for Francis as part of an informal network of spies, 
which included a young what? woman named yeah there was like a network of them and there was a woman in this network of spies named Minnie Clark Minnie was a Sunday school teacher at the church who kept Francis informed by intercepting letters that Eleanor would leave for him in his study. So I guess there was a particular book in his study that Eleanor would slip her love letters into for Edward to find. Mm. And Minnie would sometimes go and intercept these letters. Was it the Bible? Probably. Or something. But yeah, using, using religious books to pass letters. So Minnie was was getting in there and getting that stuff done. So there was another man named Henry Dickman. His last name was Dickman. <laughs> yeah. He took the stand. I'm sorry if your last name is Dickman or I'm anything. Sorry, that has guys. A dick in it. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry you've you've heard it before, right? Doesn't make it any better. I'm um, sorry, I'm twelve. So so Oh, this is actually there I think there's four Henrys. Because I think there's another Henry later. But anyway Henry Dickman. Why? Yeah, this is Henry can, number three. Can we give them different uh, names? Can we call them like... Well, he's Dickman. Can we call him like something... We're going to call... I, that's why I clarify every time I talk about it. That it's the brother, the cousin, Dickman. So Dickman okay. is honestly a small player here. So um, Henry Dickman was a former state trooper who claimed to have been paid $2,500, which would be like $44,000 in, in today's money. Um, by Henry Carpenter, wow. the cousin, to drop any investigations into the halls of the Carpenters. Okay. So he's claiming he got paid off to not investigate. And, of course, the star witness was none other than Jane Gibson. So Jane arrived <laughs> Jane to the courtroom. Yep. So Jane arrives into the courtroom, not, not on Jenny, but on... On a stretcher. <laughs> they brought in what? her stretcher because she had taken ill in the days leading up to the trial. When she entered the courtroom, a woman in the audience, like in the gallery, started yelling, liar, liar. And <laughs> it turned out that the woman yelling liar at her was her own goddamn mother. Yes. Yeah. And so... She went ahead and testified, and her story changed again, contradicting her 1922 statements to the grand jury and press. She now said that she saw Willie and Henry Stevens there with Francis, and that she never saw Henry Carpenter, the cousin. And if you remember before, she said that she saw four figures or people, depending on what day she told the story. And now she's saying she saw... Francis, Willie, Henry Stevens, the brother, Edward, and Eleanor. So that's five people and not four. So. The fuck, man? Yeah. So, of course, the the defense had a field day with all of this testimony. So they pointed out in the past that Jane hadn't even identified Francis until weeks later um, after Francis's picture had been in the newspaper like a fuck ton. So. They had been reporting mm-hmm. on Francis a ton, and that's when Jane was able to identify Francis as the woman that was leaning over the the man's body or whatever. And then they also leaned into the fact that Gibson seemed crazy and unreliable, of course. So they pushed even further into that by questioning about her marital status, which she was really wishy-washy about. So I guess that she had maybe ex like husbands or whatever or 
former husbands and they just tried to like make her feel bad about her marital status, which I think was kind of a load of bullshit, even though Jane seems like she has some other issues. But fuck you if you're going to be like Jane seems like why do they think that she's like a reliable source for anything? Yeah, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Jane because I don't know. There's some things we'll find out later that parts of her story kind of go along with. But um, so another neighbor of Gibson, so not the other lady that changed her mind earlier, but a different neighbor did tell the court that Jane had offered him money to support her statements. So Jane's trying to bribe people as well. Um, The defense also argued. So she doesn't look. Like, she's an asshole that lies. Yeah, basically, she's trying to pay it. But I think I think she's, it's a little far gone for that situation at this point. So, yeah. yeah, the defense also argued that Eleanor's former lover, Ralph Gosling, um, his story contradicted their case as well. Because he talked about the two warning shots that he got from Henry Stevens, the brother. And so... With the four shots that Jane talked about and the two shots that Ralph talked about, that's six shots in total that would have been fired that night. But Jane said Mm -hmm. she, or like the four shots that they know went into the bodies, sorry, and the two shots that Ralph talked about gives six shots, but Gaines, but Gaines, but Jane's story only gave six or four shots total. I really fucked up all of that explaining, but essentially... You know, Jane, the start witness, is saying there's only four shots that night. They know there's four bullets, and Ralph gives two extra ones, and you're like, how come you didn't hear those ones? So they also found that Henry Dickman, the state trooper, um, that he actually had just been released from Alcatraz because he was there because he was a military (gasps) deserter. So may or may not have been bribed, (laughs) but they were like, "Uh, he's probably not a very credible witness given the fact that he's a military deserter and has been in prison a little bit in the last few years. So, okay. Do you ever get like, do you ever get Alcatraz mixed up with Azkaban (laughs) from Harry Potter? I sure don't. (laughs) Because I do. Anyway, I was going to say, Cece... Alcatraz isn't real. That's from Harry Potter. And then I was like, fuck, that's real. Yeah, no, it's real. But no, I used to, I think because I, I used to watch the show and I think like it didn't do very well, but I thought it was really good. But it was like these prisoners from Alcatraz. uh, They Mm -hmm. basically like, it was about these like missing Alcatraz people that like came back, like time traveled basically into the future they like disappeared off the earth for a while and then they like show back up and like today's date even though they disappeared in the 50s and it was like this whole thing and i thought it was actually a really good show but it didn't work out okay and anyway so i know all about alcatraz from there so that's probably why i don't get confused about azkaban <laughs> oh well in my head i was like harry potter and the prisoner of alcatraz Prisoner of Alcatraz. Yeah, it's not that. So, yeah. Okay. Other things that, that poked holes in the prosecution's case was a partial fingerprint of Willie's on Edward's calling card. The defense argued that dozens of people had handled it at the mismanaged crime scene. Right. And Willie lived with Edward, too. So I, I think that's kind of a tough one, in my opinion. You know, that, that a partial of Willie's. Yeah. But Willie wasn't one of those people at the crime scene either afterward, you know? So 
I don't know about that, but Nutsy was always fingering everything. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> That's nasty. Okay. So okay. the defense also really leaned into the Stevens' status, outlining that they were, quote, not thugs, had no criminal records, and were not thieves. They were refined, genteel, law-abiding people at the highest of character, church-going Christians who enjoyed the perfect admiration and respect of their friends and neighbors. And Francis and Willie did both take the stand and heavily denied everything. Um, Henry Stevens had can like witnesses also come up and confirm that his alibi was solid as to where he was on the 14th, which is probably just okay. friends and family as usual. So the prosecution's case was further hindered by the fact that the evidence, like some of the evidence was missing. So uh, the grand jury testimony from 1922 was completely missing. They couldn't pull that in like they would normally. And it was later discovered in the possession of the former prosecutor's brother, who was trying to anonymously sell it to some newspapers. So the former prosecutor (sighs) essentially let his brother get his hands on on the testament, like the the paperwork, like the original paperwork. That's so fucked up. Shady as fuck. Yeah. So, of course, everything that we've heard so far just made... The press just continued to go wild throughout the trial. They talked a lot about Jane Gibson, of course, but they called her the pig Mm -hmm. woman in the paper because she was a hog farmer. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) There were mean cartoons drawn of both Jane and Frances. And this is where those comments about Jane or about Frances's look started to get brought up. So calling her not wholly unattractive, you know, Um, and like comparing her against. Uh, Eleanor as well. And so um, other things the press did, they would camp out on the porch of James Mills waiting for new rumors to surface and report on it. And I guess they would just sit out there and get drunk and make up songs about the murders and the trial. So like the street ballads like we talked about in the 1800s in London apparently were a thing here as well. So that was the thing that people did. They went to crime scenes and they disturbed things and took souvenirs and made up songs about murderers. It's pre-interwebs. I know. It's so weird. Yeah. So Frances Hall leaned into the press instead. And so she she even invited them into her home for interviews. She apparently appeared completely at ease and she talked about being made an ogre by the press. She was quoted as having said... The trouble is, I am more or less an ordinary person and one that is not sufficiently picturesque. However, I am not going to cry about it. I'll make the best of it I can. So she just, she knows, you know, but um, there are some some other interesting things. So the prosecution was also hurt by um, a man. There was a, a witness basically named Paul Hamborski. And he was a minister who served the Hungarian community in New Brunswick. He had recently, before the murders, traveled with Edward to a minister's conference shortly, or I already said shortly before his murder. So they they traveled to this minister's conference together. And he told the newspapers that during that trip, Edward had confided to him that his wife knew all about the affair and that one of her relatives had threatened to kill him unless he stopped seeing her. 
Despite the threat, he relayed mm. to Hambersky that he had no intention of giving Eleanor up and planned to run away with her soon. He quoted Edward, Edward on the subject of his wife. Edward had told him that Mrs. Hall is a very cool woman. She has changed very much lately, and I am very much afraid that she will do me bodily harm. So Hamburski vanished the night before the trial started in 1926 and was subsequently unable to testify. Like they never found him? Yeah. Really? He's gone. Yeah. He got killed. Yeah, he did. So the trial ended on December 3rd, 1926. And after five hours of jury deliberation, all three sub suspects were acquitted. So not oh, guilty. Shit. They poked. I mean, like you've got Jane going on and all these other wit. Like there was a lot of other witnesses, but there was just was not enough evidence. Right. So it's not like they found yeah. a murder weapon or blood on any of them. Right. So. The case right. went cold again, and randos would confess over the years, but none of the confessions checked out. So that sucks. But fast forward now to Yay. 1969, 47 years later. It was the summer of 69. Yes. I'm really hoping that my earpods don't die soon. They're at 20%. So... Me too. A man named Julius Bolyog, age 67, is laying in a hospital bed sick with osteomyelitis. So osteomyelitis, I had to look it up. So I just, I need to know these things, even though it's not all that important. But it's an inflammation or swelling that occurs in the bone, which can result in an infection somewhere else in the body that is spread to the bone, or it can start in the bone, often the result of an injury. So... He's sick with this, and he's laying in the bed. Um, he overhears two nurses talking, and hears one of them tell the other that she thought he might not make it. Because his bones are sick. Yeah, and so he realizes at this point that there's something that he just, like, really needs to get off of his chest that he's been holding in. So... He asks for police to be sent to the hospital to speak to him, and they come, and he makes a statement regarding the Halls Mills murders and the police decide that they don't really they're not going to give it much merit and it ends up just sitting in a stack of files on top of a desk for six months so just sitting huh. there um, by the way Bullyog is a Hungarian immigrant who came to America in 1915 he ran a gas station in New Brunswick and he was close friends with Willie Stevens when he was much younger so Oh. Yeah. So he would have been like in his 20s, even though Willie was like 50 at the time. Okay. So okay, police so detective. Buddies. Yeah. This police detective, George Salome, eventually comes across the the statement from Bolyog and he reads through it. And Bolyog claimed that on September 15th of 1922, he was approached by Willie Stevens asking for a favor. He agreed to the favor and was told that he would be delivering some items from Francis Hall to a couple of men he described as hoodlums that he knew. So he was to meet Francis and her chauffeur in a vehicle. And I didn't take very good notes during this part. I think I was listening to like a news report from like 1969 or 1970 at the time. So um, they 
I'm imagining that they were like parked in a park somewhere that he had to like go and meet her in her car. And but I don't know if that's really if it was in a park or not. It's just how I imagine it went down. So I, I don't know where they were, but he had to go like meet up with Francis, who's parked in a vehicle with a chauffeur. And Francis gives him two envelopes. And he did not look inside okay. of the envelopes. So what? he was supposed to deliver these envelopes to two local hoodlums. And one of them was named Isidore Ike Gutman. And the other was a man he just called Freddy. But he didn't know the last name of this guy. But he didn't know <laughs> who these guys were. They were local thieves. And upon delivering the envelopes to the men, they opened it up and they counted the cash that was inside of them. There was a total of $6,000 in the envelopes. So $106,000 in today's money. Right? Yeah. Bullyog also said that at that time, Willie told him that Eleanor and Edward had been forced into the parked car, murdered, and then brought to the lover's lane. He threatened Bullyog that if he ever told anyone, he'd be the next one to die. Bullyog also gave context around Willie's relationship with Edward and what was going on inside their family at the time of the murder. If you remember, Edward controlled Willie's trust fund and controlled how much money Willie oh, was yeah. able to get out. And yep. so yep. Willie's allowance from the trust fund was only $25 a week, which would be $440 in today's money. That's not a lot for the little nut It's not job. a ton, but he also had all of his housing expenses and probably food taken care of. So... Yeah. I mean, like extra 440 bucks to spend a week. But so he had been getting, I guess that that Willie had been getting friendly with a widow in town and he really hoped to marry her. He didn't okay. think that the, the $25 a week was enough for him to court Mary and take care of her. And so he oh. asked Edward if he could get more money and Edward denied his requests to get a higher allowance, which made Willie dick. pissed off. Yeah. And so... Willie told Bullyog that his sister wanted to give Edward money to go away because she was sick of the affair going on. She knew about it. But Willie hated him so much that he really wanted him to die. Okay. This is all Bullyog and, and what he's sense. telling them from the past. So luckily, the six months later when they found Bullyog's statement, he was still alive, which is good. So he, he didn't die as they thought he would. And so, huh. yeah, which is it's good good. So Detective Salome decided that he was going to give Bullyog a lie detector test to try and determine if his story was true. Bullyog passed the lie detector test with flying colors. And I don't know a lot about lie detector tests besides, you know, like knowing that people say that they're not reliable. Um, so I looked up a little bit of information. That was a long time ago, too. It really was a long time ago. And let me tell you what they thought about lie detector tests in 1969. So I know now that there's a lot of different ways for people to fool lie detector tests, um, but you can look up on the internet. I found tons of ways that people can do it. But back in 1969, they believed that the only way to fool a lie detector test was by um, having a mental blockage, essentially. <laughs> what do you mean? And so they took Bullyog to a psychiatrist to determine whether or not he had this said mental blockage. And Dr. John Spanley was able to determine that he did not have mental blockage. So all in all, they decided that they wanted to believe Bullyog's story. There also were other things that made Bullyog's story make sense. So 
Ike Gutman was later charged with kidnapping and armed robbery for a different case and was later linked to the mafia as well. He had been executed Mm -hmm. mafia style a few years later by Billy the Boot Gallardo for for some some other shenanigans that were going on. Um, So they believe that it was possible that the $6,000 could have either been for services rendered on behalf of the Stevens or to keep quiet about the murders in some way. Like maybe they purchased a weapon from them or whatever the case may be. Or maybe they sure, just knew about sure. it. But they were they were paid to keep quiet. But $6,000 is like $100,000 today. You know, like over 100000 So I feel like they would have been involved more intimately. I would like $100,000 today. I know. But not to kill someone, though. No, no, like not to kill it. someone. No. Yeah. So... Yeah, his story was also corroborated by some small details in the statements of other witnesses. Um, The details didn't seem important at the time that the witness statements were taken many, many years ago, and they were never reported to the press, so they weren't things that Bullyog could have known about. Um, They didn't actually, in this report I listened to, though, where I got all this information from, they couldn't find, like, they didn't tell us what the small details were. So they kind of alluded to it being something about the vehicle. But I just, I literally have no other context for it besides just saying that they were able to kind of corroborate what Bullyog was saying. The only thing that he said that didn't really line up completely was that um, he said that they had been murdered in a vehicle because there was so much blood at the crime scene. They really believed that they were killed there at the crime scene. But that was my question about it. Yeah. Yeah. So they think that Willie could have been either lied to or lied to Bullyog. So like if there were two hitmen and Willie paid those hitmen, they could have told Willie something or Willie could have pretended like he knew what they did, but he didn't really know. You know, he maybe just assumed yeah. and, and told Bullyog. So it's just something that that could have happened. So, of course, um, everyone else was basically dead at this point, though, because Bullyog was pretty young in in 1922 and was older in 1969 but everybody else was older than him so nobody was really around and nothing ever came from Bullyog coming forward with the information with his near deathbed confession unfortunately Um, so the case is unsolved but there are like literally a ton of theories and so I want to run through a couple of them and then talk about what I think happened and maybe what you think happened so okay The first one that I'll cover is one that states that Jane Gibson, the pig woman, was actually the killer and shot them because she thought that they were corn thieves. Um, One of them, like one of the theories around this said that that Jane could have even been another lover of Edwards and she got jealous and killed them in a rage. Uh, But there's no evidence of any of this. You know, there's nothing to back it up. Why? Why would she put their feet that way and why would she pose them and why would she have all the letters? Well, maybe she found out about it while she was being in love with Edward in a different way. No, I don't think that's the case. I I think that one's silly. Um, There's also people that speculate that James Mills really could have done it. You know, maybe his his wood pounding machine that you said he invented you know like i don't know whatever he figured something out so who knows you know um but i think that's unlikely seeming like just because he seemed really like disinterested in her affair with his best friend that 
You know, it all benefited him financially. It just didn't seem seem accurate. And some speculated that it could have been another one of Eleanor's lovers from a former extramarital affair. So maybe one of her other affairs that she had earlier. Maybe they found out about her and Edward and they got jealous, which could be given all the situation things. So, So there's that. Possible. There was a former attorney named William Kunstler, and he probably is still alive, honestly, but he wrote a book about this case, which I did not read because I don't have time for that shit. And um, right. <laughs> he did, I guess, theorize in the book that they could have been victims of the KKK. So apparently what? they were the KKK was really prevalent at this time in New Jersey, and they held really strong beliefs against adultery. Oh, um, Kunstler himself agrees that there's not much evidence to this or much basis around it, but they just, and like the KKK hadn't knowingly killed anybody else in New Jersey at this time either. So I don't know. Wishy washy. So here's the thing Did, um, did Willie ever get to be with his girl? Um, I, maybe. He didn't have access to that cash though. So I don't know. And I'll just maybe he, he didn't have access to that cash. That yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't She's look like, into that oh, family Nazi. tree. We can't get married. He might be a murderer. Um. Okay. So I'm gonna tell you what I think happened. Okay. Here's my theory. Okay. So if I had to put a pin in this, I would think. First of all, that Bullyog is telling the truth. So I'm thinking that Frances knew through her secret spies, including Louise, by the way. So she knew that Edward was going to leave her and she was willing to give him some money to just go away. She's like, just go be with her because she was just sick of it. And I think that because of this, she had some love in her heart for him anyway, because she was like, I don't want to kill him like Willie does. I really just want to let him go. However, Mm -hmm. she makes the mistake of telling her brother Willie about him running away that night. So she tells Willie and Willie's upset about the trust fund allowance. And Willie's like, we're not going to pay that dude. Like, we are going to we're going to kill him. And so we're going to pay these two hoodlums, Ike and Freddie, to take him out. So I think that Frank and Eddie took him out and shot him. Or, like, shot the couple, basically. I don't... Some stuff's not adding up. Well, I'm thinking about, like... So, I think that when Frances found out what Willie did, she decides to side with family and decides to help him cover it up. So, she's willing to pay off anybody that might know about it. And she had to go pay the hitman because Willie doesn't have access to the cash. And I think that the hitman used the love letters because... They thought it would place the blame on James because he's poor and a man instead of on the rich people. And Willie's a little crazy himself. And so I think he made up the fact that they were killed in the car because the hitman didn't actually tell him like where and how they did it. And I think to myself that there might be like some parts of what 
Jane saw, like, maybe because she was so gossipy and talked to everybody all the time and gossiped that maybe she got, like, bits and pieces from other witnesses and, like, put together this fantastical story in her mind and then just kept making it worse. And then because Willie's gun had never been fired, the either the hitmen either got the gun from Henry Stevens, who may have been there after all, or they used their own gun because I'm still not sure if Henry was really involved in this at all. And I really don't think that Henry Carpenter was, honestly. It just seems silly unless he was like paying people off for them. And all in all, to me, this is just a story of the rich getting away with murder due to status and a great defense attorney. And that is my theory. Mm-hmm. I, like some stuff just doesn't make sense. Like all the things, the overkill on, on Eleanor, the letters, all the other stuff. Like I, I think Jane is bullshit. Like yeah. everybody was all crazy. I think everybody was lying about everything. And... Quite honestly, it could have been James. You still think it's James? Like people, people, well, they like thought he was an idiot, right? Yeah, that's true. He had that going for him. And he had, he probably had the means, you know, he had the motive. And then, you know, he just kind of skated off into the, into the, uh, into the night because everyone thought he was an idiot. That could be, but why did Bullyog like decide you needed to make like a deathbed confession? I don't know. Because everybody wanted to be involved in everything back then. He's like, wait, 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 I'm dying and I'm not cool enough. I know, but it just seems so weird that he would just not say anything for 47 years. Yeah, because he had no legacy of his own. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I Um, really don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay, well... My earbuds are about to die. They're like so close to dying right now. So are mine. So should we wrap this fucker up? Let's wrap it up with a bow. Okay. So want to give my usual spiel that if you liked this episode, we want you to A, tell your friends to listen to us and B, hit the follow button and follow us on whatever platform you're listening on. And... If you loved us enough that you want to throw a few dollars to us every month to help us out with equipment costs and different fees that we pay for the podcast, we would love if you would visit patreon.com slash weirdshitmymomsayspodcast. Beyond that, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash weirdshitmymomsayspodcast, but leave the I out of shit because Facebook is a prude. You can follow us on Instagram at weirdshitmymomsayspodcast. And finally, you can check us out on Twitter at WeirdShitMMSPod. So that is all, guys. Have a good week and goodbye. 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 Goodbye.